It was the most amazing feeling I've ever had. And I, I almost get emotional thinking about it, which is funny because I just, I had worked so hard. And I think about, I started training in 2020 for 2020, you know, so this was such a long road coming. And I, I didn't come from being a huge, huge runner. And so I felt really proud of having done it. And I ran in honor of my grandma. She passed in 2019, she passed from cancer. And I think that when it got really hard, I could feel her. And I had her initials on my sneakers. And I think that doing it for the American Cancer Society and fundraising and having that be a huge part of it totally makes it an even better experience. Hello, podcast world. Welcome to episode 60 of Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. I met Grace Plashy exiting the 50th New York City Marathon finish line, where she was beaming with that first-time marathon finisher glow and had just rocked an amazing 328 debut marathon. Grace ran in honor of her grandmother who passed from cancer in 2019 and had her initials on her sneakers and could feel her out there on the course when things got really hard. Running and fundraising for the American Cancer Society made things even more meaningful. Grace comes from a super close-knit, supportive family and is grounded in gratitude. She's an aspiring doctor surgeon and I'm excited to follow her amazing journey. We discuss youth activities, dance, violin, soccer, basketball, and lacrosse. Her playing on her first travel team, coached by her dad, and realizing that lacrosse was her passion. Both her mom and dad played in college. Committing to Brown to play Division I lacrosse after her sophomore year of high school. Her experience at Brown, invaluable learnings, team bonds, workload, time management, overcoming obstacles, leadership finding her voice, becoming a captain senior year. Key mentors that have influenced her journey along the way, from proactivity, physical therapy, and Jim, Eric Eisenhard, Chris Hagen, Kristen Prendergast, a doctor, a mom of three, who's an amazing runner and wrote Grace's training plan, and Dr. Ira Kirschenbaum who helped her realize the magnitude of her passion for medicine and set in motion the path she's on now. We discuss being part of a strong team in sports and in medicine and a full breakdown of her race. And we broke it down from the Verrazano Bridge to every stop along the way and her family playing such a big part of it, being out there, family and friends, being out there with crazy signs and big energy and just giving her the support that we all need to get through a race, especially a first-time one. Her career path and community service. I'm so excited to share Grace's inspiring first-time marathoner's journey. I hope you all enjoy this convo as much as we did. So let's dive on in and take a listen. afternoon, Grace Plashy. Welcome to Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. How you doing this afternoon? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Is that New York City 50th glow still in full effect? Because you are the very first first-time marathoner to be on Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. So I would hope that that glow and energy is still like in full effect. 
Oh, absolutely. And it's safe to say I've been bitten by the marathon bug too. So absolutely loving it. Yeah. Yeah. So everybody at home, you know, walking through the old finish line of the 50th New York City, you know, I bumped into Grace and we started to chat a little bit. And of course, one thing led to another. I've wanted for a long time to have a true first time marathoner on the show um, to just have them be able to tell their story. And as we got to talking a little bit more, she has a very interesting story. And I was instantly uh, really taken by it and thought she'd be a great guest. So that's where we're at. And that's why she's joining us today. So excited to hear what Grace has to say. So Grace, how about you just do a little intro for everybody about where you grew up, you know, what family life was like and kind of your introduction to sports. So I'm from originally central Jersey. So I grew up in a pretty rural town and I'm the middle of three girls and I have two amazing parents. So we were kind of involved in every activity you could be as a kid. You know, my parents shuttled me from t-ball to rec soccer to dance, everything. Um, And kind of did that for all of my sisters and me. And so I'm really grateful for that. It was definitely um, sort of a quintessential upbringing. And um, what really got me into sports was, you know, it was the way you hung out with your friends. So I would play all the rec sports. And then in around second grade, I um, started playing lacrosse. And that was sort of my big sport um, or has turned into my big sport. And my dad was my coach for a lot of my rec years. And that was something that was just super fun. He had played in college at University of Rochester. And so he would come home early from work and we would play in the front yard until the sunset and balls would be flying everywhere. They would be going down the side of the hills of our of our street and the neighbors would be bringing them back. So sports were always really, really um, a part of my life. And, you know, it was just such a fun way to be involved in the community. And, and I slowly got more serious about lacrosse specifically and kind of other sports fell away. Um, but at the beginning it was, it was really classic, just kid running around doing everything. So the quintessential sports family, um, in the action, uh, I know your mom and dad are also big athletes as well. Um, you're, if I'm not mistaken, the middle child, right? Yeah. You have two sisters. So we're, we're representing middle children out here. Yeah. We're in the middle. We're competitive. We're feisty. Don't fuck with us. We'll come for you, man. We're battlers because we've got the older sibling is usually like a rock star because they're first out in the birth order. And then you have your younger one, you know, you're there like kind of being their shepherd, their guardian, their Sherpa looking out for them. But in those kind of family environments where the mom and dad are athletes, man, it's on. Everybody's competitive. Everybody's like feisty. And uh, what was it like in your family? Was that kind of the dynamic? Was everybody like really competitive about everything, not just sports or what was it like? That's the funny thing. Um, it was actually really just me that was super into athletics. My Both of my sisters played sports. My younger sister was actually a huge fan. She was a huge, huge Giants fan, still is. Um, but it was really me that played the most sports. Um, competitiveness came in in different ways. When you have three girls, it's kind of hard to get away from. Um, but loved them to death and wouldn't have changed anything. Um, but yeah, it was really... I was the one that found sports and that was my thing. The three of us actually all played classical violin growing up. So that was the thing that we all did, um, which is kind of a funny, uh, fun fact. I've actually kept that up. So I still, I still play violin um, on and off when I have time, which is not a lot. <laughs> I love it. 
classical music is wonderful. And behind me, I don't know if you can see on my wall, we talked a little about my son because my son's 24 and you're 24. Um, so you guys are the same age, which is wild. I feel like I'm chatting with my son right now, which is great. But my son is a classically trained musician as well, pianist, um, taught himself the organ, conducts music, composes. And uh, it's wonderful that you're going to keep that. Because um, for everybody at home, uh, Grace is in med school right now. And, you know, that's a lot to juggle. Um, and your undergrad, if I'm not mistaken, was at Brown, right? So you're obviously at a super competitive uh, Ivy League school, you know, for, you know, on the front end of your education. And now at medical school is at Columbia, right? Yes. Yeah. So the good part is you're in NYC. So you got Central Park for your training ground and it's like right outside your doorstep. So that's definitely a plus, right? Oh, yeah. I've loved it. That's been the best part. I run right out my door onto the West Side Highway, go down a little bit, then cut into Central Park. And it's awesome. Beautiful. Beautiful. So growing up, so you were really the only athlete. Interesting. Um, usually you'll find, you know, a couple of siblings or dabbling in one sport or the other. But, you know, so what tied you all together was music more so. Um, so the mom and dad, they had to be stoked because, you know, they were both lacrosse players and, you know, they finally found one out of the three who was like ready to roll with sports. So they were probably just like, yeah, let's do it. Mm -hmm. And, um, as far as like in your youth, you know, um, how, you know, how good were you like before high school, stuff like that? And like, when did you like gravitate towards one sports? Cause I know you played a bunch of things. Like when did you kind of gravitate towards one sport and kind of get more serious about that? Yeah, so it was really around middle school that I really started to sort of focus in on lacrosse. And I actually danced for a very long time and I danced competitively for a bit. And it was, I think, one of the most demanding things on my body and really pushed me to realize that you can sort of use your own willpower to get through really hard things. Um, so it's funny that that's kind of where that originated. Uh, but then lacrosse was totally my love. And I really started focusing on it towards the end of middle school and then into high school, sort of realized. Hey, I think I can play at the next level, um, which was really exciting. And look, dance is um, it's really physically demanding. Um, you know, when you when you're around New York City, you're exposed to it all. I mean, you have Lincoln Center, you have you know all the arts and all theater and ballet. It's all right there in front of you. And you know what dancers have to put their bodies through. Um, people think marathon running or ultra marathon running, or maybe like say doing Ironmans is really hard physically and demanding and keeping themselves healthy. Well, there's an, just an, a massive industry of physical therapists and deep tissue sports massage therapists and ART sports chiropractic services and, and high-end PT studios that literally are spending as much time with their clientele from the dance side for people who are performing in the arts as they are with athletes like us. So I don't think people realize just how physically demanding you know, that can be. For sure. So it was tough. Um, did you have any injuries or were you healthy, like making your way through through that? I was a pretty healthy kid. Um, have knocked on wood, kind of stayed that way. Um, and I honestly, I had one injury sort of around when I was starting to get more serious. Um, I hurt my knee. I hurt my IT band pretty bad. And I went to a physical therapy office that was in my town that was actually connected to a gym. And that sort of changed my whole life. That gym, that physical therapy place, it's called Proactivity and it's my home. It is the people that have always, you know, supported me in all of my sports endeavors, including this marathon. So, you know, I think injuries can be a sign that, you know, you need someone to help you out. And that was definitely it. You know, they really helped me realize, okay, you have to train if you're going to get more serious and push your body, you need to train so that it's able to do that. 
Um, and they've been integral in just getting me to each of the next steps that I've gone to. Yeah, it's great. Um, so out by you and and that area of Jersey, there's a number of prominent baseball academies that are out there that are really super high end and also softball. My brother Ray coaches, uh, an elite uh, girls softball team tsunami um, for girls that are really competitive and also post-collegiate who want to continue to play and, and be involved with the sport. Um, and now my goddaughter, who was a really good pitcher who played in college, she's now coaching with them. So they kind of share that um, bond together. But these facilities, you know, these high-end baseball facilities, these high-end PT strength and conditioning places, um, they're also coaching up uh, athletes that want to go to the NFL combine and they want need to be faster. They need to be stronger. They're working on their agility. They're working on their power, their explosiveness. Um, they're fantastic. I mean, they really look at the whole athlete, you know, really from the ground up. And, you know, many times, as you said, you know, one injury, everything starts from the bottom, you know, you're going to medical school. So here I am giving the advice to the to potential doctor, but, you know, I think 30 years of running, I've probably learned more about running injuries than anyone in history. And, you know, it's just about being aware of your body. Like people say that all the time, listen to your body, but runners don't listen to their body. I do. I do. I'm aware of what's going on. I can tell when my one hip is a little off from the other side. I can tell when I'm landing if something's a little out of balance for me. So I have a team of people, man. I got a great sports Cairo, you know, Peter Duggan, Duggan Sports Cairo, shout out to him. You know, I can get on the table with him and in 45 minutes doing our ART stuff. He can kind of get me right back in the mix, okay? Or if one calf is really tight or if one glute is tighter than the other, besides using the modalities at home, like foam rolling and, you know, deep tissue, getting on somebody's table. And of course, my Norma Tech boots are right over there on the couch, as I point, because like there are many nights when I'm doing my Netflix or watching sports where Norma Techs are in the picture. Um, so the fact that you found that place early is great. Um, and you went there to some degree because was it to kind of get over an injury or help you with an injury? Like that's kind of how it started, right? Your connection there. Yeah. Yeah. That's how it started. And the cool thing about this place is it's actually pretty small. It's gotten bigger since I, uh, I went to them initially, but they're really community based. So it also really just connected me to people in the community, um, and other athletes, you know, there was no, there was no huge names at this place. And Still, they focused on every single person to get them to achieve what they wanted to, whether it was, you know, a 60 year old woman with arthritis or me who was trying to go play college lacrosse. So it was a really cool dynamic to be in. That's great. And I wonder if in some way it influenced you a little um, to maybe wanting to help people and, you know, now, you know, getting involved with uh, medical, you know, medicine and you know, obviously just starting out in your first year, um, you know, how we can impact, oh, second year, um, how we can, how we can impact people um, and how we can change people's lives. Because the word which you hit there was community, which I'm just such a fan of the word because look, running is the ultimate community. It is a community that's welcoming. It's not always as welcoming as it should be. Sometimes certain groups get left out or cert certain groups maybe get mu made fun of or they feel they're being made fun of because they walk the whole race or something else. And I just destroy people who like kind of put that shit out in the universe. I just gut them. I just like chop them up. And then I dice them up more and I'm just like, come on my show, man, debate me. I will take you out. I don't care if you're out there for 10 hours. Tommy Rivs Pusey right behind me. If I tilt my screen back, there's Rivs himself, the famous Tommy Rivs. Um, I ran 60 miles for him on my 60th birthday and raised money for his family. Seven rounds of chemo, a rare lymphoma. And what does he do? He comes out to New York with us 
And he goes out there and walks 26 miles with his damaged lungs that are so badly, you know, damaged um, with, you know, how, much, how many rounds of chemo he had to go through. Hell, he was down to 98 pounds. So community, I don't care if you're the last person that finishes when those lights are on or you finish first and you break the tape. You're a runner, man. And you're a badass. And you get to join the fraternity, the sorority, whatever you want to call it, the community. You're, you're a member for life. And you got to be a part of that. But back to the PT place, the strength place, you, you notice it. It doesn't matter if it's a 60-year-old grandmother who's out there just because she wants to be able to walk but she's having some pain and she wants to address it. Or it's a high school kid who doesn't want to miss their senior year of lacrosse. Like when you're there and you see them, it's like, hey, I saw you last week. How's it going? Are you making progress? And then obviously the PT people in there, they're invested, man. They want to get you back on the field, right? So talk about that from your experience, A, as the athlete when you were going through it and then how it, how it may have shaped you in your career direction. Yeah, I, I think you said it so well. I just love that community feel and something that uh, it's actually a quote from someone who works at productivity. They said, achievement feels the same to everyone. So it doesn't matter what you're achieving. If you are achieving your goal, that's going to feel like it. Like you said, if you're walking it for 10 hours or you break the line, you did it, you achieved it. And I, I love that feeling because it's just, it really levels the playing field and it allows everyone to be supportive of each other. And so being there, it was just very cool to watch different people come through. And there was, there was awesome athletes that I got to work with. I, for a while, uh, would lift with the high school wrestling team. And I always tried to, you know, be as strong as them. And definitely my competitiveness came out there. I was not in fact able to do as many pull-ups as them, but I tried. Um, and so it was just a great, um, breeding ground for, you know, a young competitive athletically inclined person to really, you know, sort of reach their potential. I, I don't think I would have done it without them. And I think that that was huge in getting me to where I went. Um, without lacrosse, like my academics were extremely strong and, you know, I, I rocked it at Brown, but who knows if I would have gone in there without my hook, without lacrosse, right? I was an a kid from an obscure high school in Jersey. You know, they don't, they're kind of a dime a dozen. So I think not only did it get me to the place that allowed me to get such an amazing education to then go for these dreams, but also it really showed me that I wanted to be involved in figuring out how to help people achieve whatever they wanted to in regards to the human body. And I just got so fascinated with what the human body was capable of, um, my own, like watching it morph and change and achieve as well as others. And it being at all different levels of achievement was really inspiring. So I definitely think it had a hand in, in everything. <laughs> I love that. Um, it piqued your interest without you even knowing it was there. Um, just so just observing and being a part of it, you know, it was like, it's one thing to observe something and watch from afar, but you were actually in it. So you were there too. You were participating, but you're also watching the other people around you. You're watching the physical therapist. You're watching the other athletes. And you, to me, I'll call everyone an athlete because I'll call that 60-year-old grandma an athlete because I'm 60 now. So man, don't ever try to say, I'm not an athlete, man. I will come for you, man. I'll hunt your ass down. So yeah, it's on. Um, but what a, what a super cool experience. And what I love about it is it's small. Um, it's not one of these amazing places because there are multitudes of those places that are super high tech and they've got crazy photography and HD cameras recording everything and, you know, all sorts of systems to log in and track and all your metrics, but it's old school, it's small. And yet they're delivering and helping 
you know, the athletes get back out there or get better, or even if they're not wanting to compete, just to get healthy, to get off crutches again, to get out of a boot or whatever, you know, sort of injury they have. Maybe it's all arm or shoulder and they want to play tennis again or, or paddle ball or something like that. And whatever it is, man, you got to be active in life, man. If you're not getting the hell up off the couch, man, we got a problem. Again, we'll we'll hunt you down, man. So that's that's it, man. What a, what great exposure. Um, and hey, you know, at the end of the day, whether you got there from an athletic injury, dance, or other things, it doesn't even matter. It exposed you to something that you know piqued your interest and and definitely led you in the direction you know that it took. And as far as you know, what you mentioned about Brown, no question, you know, your lacrosse had an impact as well. Your academics are great. I know what it's like. So does every parent who has a super smart kid that's applying to those schools, man. It's like friggin' winning the lottery, man. Why do you think people are trying to cheat the system and pay off things so their kid can get in? It's bananas, man. It's crazy. And God bless, man. Um, what an opportunity for you. And so you knew, you know, let's go back to lacrosse side, you know, middle school, you know, you're starting to become pretty good. When in high school, do you realize like, hey, this could actually really help me get into school? Do you start training harder? Like, does it take on a different element? Because obviously you said you rocked your academics. So academics were always going to be up there at the top. But when did you realize like lacrosse could be a ticket to help you get into a school like Brown? So that was around freshman year, I would say, I think, Things started to get more serious. I was actually recruited in the gray area before they put in a ton of rules about when you could communicate with athletes. Um, so people were getting reached out to on my travel team and I was getting reached out to. And it's funny. So, you know, my older sister played sports, but it was never going to be at the collegiate level. And so she had gone through the normal college application process. That's what my parents knew. And so my mom, I clearly remember being like, what, like what's happening? <laughs> is this possible? And she asked the head of uh, my travel team, like, can she, can she play? Do you think she can? And the, the, uh, the woman was like, absolutely. Absolutely. She will be the workhorse of any team she's on. And that really stuck with my mom. And she didn't tell me that until after, um, you know, cause it was sort of my journey to figure out and get there. So it was around freshman year when I really started grinding and I went to productivity a ton. I went to tons of summer tournaments, camps, everything. I mean, summers from after eighth grade through to sophomore junior year of high school I I didn't do anything but lacrosse basically you know I was sort of in Maryland in Virginia uh, at different camps and whatnot and really it was hard I mean for sure but it was sort of following that passion and realizing that this is something that I wanted to do and I actually committed to Brown the summer after my sophomore year of high school so it was pretty young um, I'm really thankful that it worked out. <laughs> I think of myself as a 16 year old saying, okay, yes, to my future. Um, you know, I definitely am lucky that it was the perfect fit. If you think about it now, that's eight years ago. Um, you're only 24. It probably seems like impossible. You were 16. You're already committing to a college. It, it seems like impossible. And of course I'm 60, so I'm like ancient, but, um, I can't imagine that my son, you know, being committed to the college at sophomore year. Cause you know, he's still, in fact, he went to Regis high school in the city and it's one of the best academic, you know, it's probably the number one rated Catholic high school in the country in terms of like academics. And, um, sure sports are important. They want you doing other things and being active, but, you know, it's really about giving back and, and men for becoming men for others and, you know, the whole Jesuit philosophy of, of the, the school itself and like what it means to be, you know, a Regian, if you will. So I was, I think his high school experience was almost as amazing as his college experience at Middlebury. But it's amazing that at 16, you had that 
exposure already. And I know about, you know, travel teams and I know about uh, showcases and all that stuff because it exists in my brother's world for coaching girls softball. But I also played division one college baseball myself. So I know, you know, in terms of that process, like what it works like. But my God, it was so different. Back then, my coach had to write a letter. I mean, he literally had to write a letter to like James Madison and say, we've got a center fielder for you. You know, take a look at this guy. There were no showcases. There was no apps to upload video of me hitting or you scoring a goal or, you know, some kid pitching. You know, none of that stuff existed. So now we're in this, you know, universe where literally everything is available and can be pulled down and be like, okay, here's Grace rocking a move and, you know, scoring a goal or, you know, having this great assist in, you know, our tournament game or, you know, so what, what changes, you know, have taken place. And, and I think it's cool that you said your mom is like, is this real, like whatever, because, you know, that's what mom and dads have to be for, man. They got to vet this stuff out and make sure it's okay. And everything's got to be safe. Oh, for sure. My parents were big, uh, big betters. They were just making sure that everything was good. And the best thing about them is they, I, I drove it. Like they were never the parents that were overbearing that were like, you have to be good at a sport. And, Cause I, we saw those parents, especially at those showcases. I mean, there were some really tough parents and I think I was very, very lucky to have parents that were there to support me, there to push me when I, when I wanted it, but not, but never over the top. That's great. And you know, the fact that at such a young age, you're aware of this stuff and you're paying attention to it because you do, you see it all. And I coached my son's travel baseball and they played in the Little League World Series down at Williamsport and stuff like that. And you just, you can't even believe it. it's mind boggling the things that you're seeing parents do. Mind boggling, flipping out, screaming at umpires, getting in fist fights with other parents. I mean, you just, people think this stuff just went on during COVID where people are like attacking, you know, flight attendants, but you no, know, people have been losing their minds before COVID. It just put more attention on it and, you know, heightened awareness around it. But, but God bless um, that you had great parents who were there and supportive when needed, but it's wonderful too, that you took some control of the process. Cause a lot of kids don't, a lot of kids are just like, I don't know what to do. Help me out. Guidance counselor, help me out. Lacrosse coach, help me out. Baseball coach. So that you showed leadership already at such a young age and you were committed to it, but also it's very different when you make that decision and you're part of that decision, that's your decision. Okay. It's not mom and dad's decision. It's not your high school coach's decision or anybody from the PT place who might've been supporting you and getting you ready. It was your decision. It's Grace's decision. So guess what? You got to be on board with it, right? So you take the ownership for it, which means if you're struggling with your academics, who do you look in the mirror at? Me. Um, if you're struggling with your coach and maybe not getting along, like, hey, I picked the school, like me. And, you know, if more parents were aware of this kind of stuff, they might be a little more time to pull back a little. Let's get junior. Let's get our daughter more involved driving this process because there's so much positive that can come out by giving your kid that responsibility at that age. Because, man, it is a crucial age in life to start gaining some control. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And for the kids who don't have it, you know, it's going to come back and impact them later because they're not going to feel that they have their own, their own abilities. They're going to question their own abilities. Like how decisive are they? Do they need their mom and dad? And if a mom and dad isn't around for them anymore, who else are they going to be leaning on when they should really be looking at themselves saying, Hey, it's always great to have close friends. It's always great to have mentors that you can lean on. But somewhere along the way, you got to use your own voice. You got to use your own internal gut to say, this is a good fit for me. This is where I'm headed. And this is what I'm going to pursue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're committed that early. Um, talk us through, you know, getting up to Brown, you know, what it's like up there. 
um, playing, you know, D1 lacrosse, you know, for an Ivy League school. Um, I know it's completely insane from an academic and athletic perspective. Um, I went to James Madison, so I'm not comparing the academic athletic load, but I know one thing, man, we're playing 60 to 70 games a year between spring and fall. Like we're basically like pro athletes. I mean, we were just gone the whole time and coming back and then, and no one's there to pick up the pieces for you, man. You got to manage all of the academic piece. And at Brown, that is a very different animal. So talk a little about the balance between, you know, academics and athletics while you're at Brown. Yeah, that was um, one of the biggest things that I've learned at, at Brown was how to do that balance. So when I got there, um, I was just amazed. The game was so fast. The game, you know, the girls were so strong. Like, it is so funny coming in as a freshman especially like I, I was definitely, um, an unlikely unique recruit, right? I wasn't on the common track. I didn't come from one of these big high schools. My high school was not that great, um, at sports. And so I was sort of a little bit behind the eight ball in terms of, you know, knowing the speed of the game, but the coolest thing about being at Brown. And I think, I think many schools are like this, but specifically our team was super supportive right? Like I immediately had mentors in the older girls. Um, actually really funny. One of the older girls on my team ran the New York city marathon and ran up behind me and was like, grace, you know, and those bonds just go forever. And it was, it was such an amazing moment. And she was sort of this girl that I always idolized. She was the fastest midfielder. Uh, her name's Jill Lee shout out to her. Um, so really going into Brown was really cool because yes, you were facing this massively scary thing of figuring out how to do Ivy league academics and play your sport at the highest level that you actually didn't know existed. Um, but you had these women that were supporting you and were going to help you. And it was a matter of saying, I need help. I don't know what to do. Can I lean on you? Can I come to you? Um, and so that was really cool to have that support system. And my coaches were great. And I think I went in knowing that I had, um, interest in medicine. And so I knew that my course loads were going to be pretty hard. And so I immediately linked up with some girls that were doing that. It wasn't a super common track. It's pretty hard to do when you do um, pretty heavy athletics. Um, I mean, we spent four to five hours a day at the athletic complex, whether that was practicing, lifting, rehabbing, you know, you are spending such a massive chunk of your time there. And it's funny to think of people who didn't do sports. I'm like, what did you do during those four to five hours of your day? I would be so curious and I wouldn't change a thing. I loved it. It was hard as hell. There was times where I was biking from Orgo Lab onto the field in my practice clothes and grabbing my stick from a teammate who brought it down and running into a drill because that's just how I had to make it work. But I think I was with really great people who facilitated that um, once I expressed an interest in doing it. Yeah, I think there's some huge learnings in there. Um, time management, you immediately are just thrust into this situation where if you can't figure that piece out, you will fail instantly. Um, you'll fail as an athlete, you'll fail academically, you'll fail at both and you won't even be at Brown anymore. You'll be academically ineligible and you know, you'll know you be on the bench for the team and then you're going to be dealing with way other consequences, bigger, far bigger consequences than you're not on the lacrosse team for that particular semester. It's like, wow, I let the family down, I let myself down, what am I doing? And then you know it can spiral. So, and yes, if you didn't play the division one sport and have those other, you know, activities thrust upon you that are required. There's no other way you can play. <laughs> you're in a hot tub, a cold tub, you're getting worked on. I mean, you're getting taped 
Um, and you just, you're physically having to do so many other things. You're doing strength training. We were, we, in between fall and spring season, we were still doing stuff for baseball. It never ended. It was just nonstop. And again, nobody's doing your tests for you. Nobody's writing your papers for you, man. You got to get your work done. So it is like such a different experience than high school where you can kind of be more of a master in the universe. It's like, you know, I can get straight A's, no problem. I can ace this test, no problem. I got this, no problem. It's just not that way. And um, wow, it just brings you like right up to date, like, wow, I got to like bring my A game like all the time. And that's, you know, great learnings. And then also what I found interesting is you're already seeking out people to try to like help you. you. Very few people were taking that track, right? But somebody did. That's how you find them, right? Like, okay, who else, who else is doing pre-med or who else is doing a double major and, you know, has handling this workload? Who do I talk to? I mean, that's just really smart on your part. It's really smart because, hey man, when you find other people in life that are going to like help you and shape you and just give you those tips and guidance, you're going to want to give back, right? So it starts super early. You might only be 24, but already I can assure you, you will be doing those same things for other people, whether it's, you know, doing your internship as, as a doctor, or surgeon, whatever, you know, track you end up taking. And we will dive into that later on in the episode. Or if it's just an athlete who wants to play division one at a school like Brown, you're going to want to give back and say, Hey, this is what you're in for, or better yet, the girl who ran up on you, who you went around with, who asked you to run the marathon and you guys ran and you saw each other, you know, you're going to, you're going to go out and find somebody else that you played at Brown with or somewhere else and say, Hey man, you need to run the New York city marathon. Come run with me. Come run with this team. Let's raise some money together. So I think it all goes around in a good way. Um, so that exposure, those things that you, um, you know, were put in front of you and how you handled it, you know, you want to like give that same advice back and mentor other people and help them along. Right. Absolutely. And even like being an upperclassman on the team and having those freshmen come in and realizing, oh, I'm in that position now. You know, I'm that, I'm that mentor, even just being two years above, there's these doe-eyed freshmen coming in, not knowing what to do. And being able to give back exactly like you said, was one of the best feelings ever. And I still love to do it. I still, I'm actually on the board for the Brown women's lacrosse team. I'm uh, one of the vice presidents of it. And that's been such a great thing because I've been able to sort of see these kids come up and just be like, I'm here to help you in any way I can, whether that's lacrosse, career, life, I got you. And that's such a great part of, I think, sports in general. Hey, it's community again. That's what mm -hmm. it is. Um, extend yourself, um, not overextend, but extend. Um, there's a big difference. Um, you know, with the, with the track you have in life, you don't have a lot of free time. Um, and so you really have to think about how you want to spend that free time a lot more. Um, and balancing that, that academic and athletic load, you know, as a young kid coming in, it really makes you have to, you know, grapple with some tough decisions and really think about, okay, is this really what I want to be doing? Or, is this really in my best interest? And it doesn't mean you can't have fun, man. You got to have fun, man. You're at school, you're at college, you're young. You better have fun. I told my son to get in as much trouble as he could because I didn't. Um, kidding around. I got in trouble all the time. He's the one who never got in trouble. <laughs> but I was just like, man, do whatever you want, man. Just do anything. It's okay. As long as the first call comes to me, whatever happened, 
You're in the no judgment zone. Dad will always come and support you. And I will bail you out of anything, including jail, God forbid, if you guys end up there because too much mischief <laughs> was involved. But luckily for me, those phone calls never came, you know, and, and God bless. But, you know, if you do, that's part of growing up, man. That's how you learn. That's how you learn. So I love that you're part of the lacrosse group and you're, you're part of the board and, you know, that's just wonderful. So keep doing that kind of stuff because the people that you're helping out now, they're going to step into your shoes in two years. And they're going to do the same thing. And that's how it goes, man. That's the way it's supposed to go. Right. So, um, so talk us through, you know, your, your years playing there, you know, highlights, low lights, you know, just like what it was like, you know, playing for the team, you know, and all of that. So we started out, we were, we were a little bit in the lower half of the Ivy League my freshman year. Um, so we were definitely in transition period. We were getting some new coaches. We were really pulling in some big recruits with my class and the classes after. So I was in a really exciting four years of the program that really saw a big turnover and a big shift um, in how we were playing. And I had a very interesting trajectory over my four years. I came in as a freshman and played some kind of, as you would expect a freshman to, wasn't a phenom, but like my um, travel coach said, I was the workhorse. So I kind of was always grinding and that's what I loved. I just loved grinding. And then my sophomore year, I played every single game as a midfielder. So I was, you know, I was fast. I could sprint. I could kind of keep sprinting. Um, so that was where I was good. And then my junior year was very different. All of a sudden, my playing time was decreasing. I didn't know what was happening. There was a little bit of a lack of communication there. And I remember being you know, I had gone from playing almost every minute of every game to it just slowly dwindling out. And the team was sort of in, in flux at that point. And, um, at the end of that season, my coaches basically said, we don't think you have a spot on midfield anymore. And I felt like totally blindsided. You know, I had been there grinding. I had, you know, I was now technically an upperclassman as a junior and I, you know, I was really trying to do what I could for the team too. You know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't a selfish player. I wasn't, um, you know, I didn't have a huge ego. I just, I just like to grind. And so they told me that they were going to kind of switch me to defense, which is just like a totally different position. Yes. Midfielders play defense, but midfielders are sort of the endurance athlete of lacrosse. And so when they told me they were switching me to defense, they also told me that they thought I was too small to play defense. So it was a very, it was a very interesting dichotomy of getting this news and it wasn't the way they delivered. It wasn't mean. It wasn't, you know, wrong. I agree. There was better midfielders there. You know, we were having huge talent come in, but I was sort of faced with, okay, like, what do I do next? Um, and so the summer after my junior year, I decided I was going to give everything I could. It was going to be my senior year, my last season, I was going to become the best defender I possibly could. So it actually corresponded with the summer that I was taking my MCAT. So the big exam to get into medical school. And I was working at a research lab. So I sort of had these three things I was focusing on how do I become a good defender, take the MCAT, get into med school, do research. Um, so I would wake up at 4.30 in the morning pretty much every day and go to the uh, weight room with the football team and lift for like an hour and a half. And I minimized my running because running was not going to be what I needed to do. Um, and, you know, I had been a sprinter. I had you know always won the run test. So this was a very different summer for me. And I'd lift, I'd do research, I'd study. And that was sort of the hardest, most grind filled summer of my life. And I came out of it with basically like 10 pounds of pure muscle added on. I looked completely different. I, wa I remember walking to the coach's office the first day of, um, of fall ball and all of their eyes were just like, Oh my God, 
you look like a different player. And I was like, I'm here to do this thing. Like you asked me to do something and that's what I, and I did what I could do. And I think a huge thing was realizing control. You can control. You can't control the fact that there are better midfielders on the team. And you can't control the fact that your coaches have decided that that's not your spot. And so it's, I think one of the things I'm most proud of is sort of hitting that bottom of being like, damn, I just lost my spot. I just lost a spot that I worked really hard for. And then finding a new spot and creating, you know, a totally different version of myself. You know, I, I took the MCAT, did well on that and also transformed myself as a player. And by the fall, I was basically lifting the heaviest on my team. And I'm, I'm a five foot four girl. Like I'm not that, that big. So 10 pounds of muscle was a shit ton. (laughs) That's awesome. Um, you got hit with, you know, more or less, I wouldn't say for the first time, but real obstacles, potential obstacles where, you know, the choices are in front of you, you know, you got to do the MCATs, you know, you got to do your research. It could very easily have been, okay, there's three doors in front of me. Guess what? I don't care about my senior seasonal lacrosse. I had three great years, you know, fuck them. If they do really, in fact, have better midfielders and they are, and you openly said, yes, they are. So you agreed with the assessment, but it still stings. It still hurts. Okay. So you could very easily have just said, no, this is not how I'm going to spend my senior year. I'm going to go out my way. I'm going to put my focus more on my education. I'm going to get ready for med school. And maybe I'm going to party a little, maybe I'm going to do something else different, but easily there were a myriad of choices that you could have taken for that third option. And believe me, not on top of the list is hitting the gym at 4.30 in the morning and trying to put 10 pounds of muscle on. So damn it, man, kudos. I'm all about the grind. Um, and we can grind at any age. You don't have to be 60 to grind. You don't have to be 24 to grind. Anyway, it's just about you know obstacles in life when they're placed in front of you, when they're placed to the side of you, behind you, below you, whatever. How are you going to come out swinging, man? Are you going to give up? Are you going to rise up? Are you going to assess the situation and say, okay, how do I work my way through? Is it a minefield of stuff? Is it one thing? Is it a couple of things? But man, you did a great assessment of the situation. And, you know, look, it wasn't like the coaches were like, hey, we're going to take you to the gym. We're going to bulk you up. We're going to get you stronger so you can play defense. No, they basically just told you, hey, we have better midfielders. There's not a spot for you at midfield. And again, I do think a lot of percentage of people would have just gone the other way and said, it's party time, senior year. I'm not going to do this. So kudos to you, man, for just like, you know, basically rising up to the challenge, man, and taking it on. Yeah. And I did have fun. Don't worry. But, you know, I prioritize the things that were important to me too. (laughs) Well, I hope so. I mean, you couldn't be on this show if you weren't fun. I mean, I can, anybody, I can always pass the fun test with anybody instantly. I'm just like, yeah, man, if we're walking and talking and having some fun, and by the way, I have a great picture of us from in my, uh, the post-race shots. So I have a great picture of us, uh, you know, when we were going down the line before we dumped out onto, uh, onto Central Park West over there, which was great at 72nd street, um, right before, you know, we got our shot, but yeah, I mean, look, how we handle these things are everything. So you make the position change, you get stronger, you add 10 pounds of muscle. How did the senior season play out? I mean, did you enjoy playing defense or midfielder? Because it's a huge change. I mean, as a midfielder, you're in the middle of the action all the time. You got the ball a lot of the time. You're either scoring a lot of goals, or you're setting up your attackmen to score a lot of goals. And, you know, again, I was a college baseball player, but my high school team, they were state champs in lacrosse, like 
all the time. So I know a lot about lacrosse just from watching it, never played it. Um, but it's a great sport, man. I love the sport. Physical, demanding, tough, um, a lot of grit. Um, and it's fun to watch, man. So how was defense, you know, versus, you know, being a midi? I loved it and realized it was where I should have been, you know, and I think everything happens for a reason. I think I had to have the arc I had. And then I realized what my coaches had seen. Like I had, that was my game sense that, you know, that was where my instincts really excelled. Um, and it was, we played a zone defense, which takes a lot of sort of mental game and connecting with your fellow defenders. So I think once I settled in, it was amazing. And we had the best season that Brown lacrosse has had in its history. Basically we beat Princeton, which was ranked like number seven at the time. And, you know, we just, we crushed it. And it was really, really exciting to have that be the end of my lacrosse career. I think not many people can say that they went out truly at the top of their game. Um, so that was, that was really, really cool. And I think it made me really appreciate my coaches as well. You know, they, they had the hard conversations. They could have, you know, sort of babied me and sugarcoated it and said, yeah, you might play midfield and strung me along, but they told me the hard facts and it led to me being able to contribute to my team in such a bigger way. What an, what an awesome way to wind it up. Um, you know, so overall the team's getting better on top of it. You know, you're learning, you know, a new skill set. you know, you're playing zone defense, you're part of something else, you know, it's not just, you know, you're going to be creating and kind of in the middle of stuff because that's why it's called midfielder, right? You're in the middle of it all, middle of the action. Um, and you have a new perspective on the game and the sport. And I think anybody, if you've never played goalie and all of a sudden you got stuck in the net to play goalie in soccer um, and, you know, vice versa, like any sport where you go from offense to defense, let's say you're a receiver and you're getting passes thrown. Well, if you're all of a sudden playing cornerback, or you're playing safety and you're playing on the other side of that ball, trying to stop those plays from happening, man, you have a whole new appreciation for, you know, what that side of the game is like, because not allowing goals is every bit as important as scoring them. Um, and it can be the difference between wins and losses or ties. So, so super cool. Um, what do you think was the biggest thing you learned about team sports? Um, you know, whether it, I don't care. It could be all the way back to your high school days. It could be, you know, preschool days or all the way back to, you know, Brown, you know, lacrosse. Like, what do you, what do you think are some of the biggest things you learned, you know, from, from your team sports uh, journey? God, I mean, there's so many things. I think, I think just having the opportunity to be on a team, you realize that it takes a skill to unite a unique group of people for a common goal. And you can't treat everyone the same. I was actually captain my senior year. So I had a really big leadership role as well. And it was really, okay, how can I, how can I connect individually with all of these people and find what drives them as well as find what drives me? Because that's just as important too. And then use all those things to achieve a common goal. And I think the power of a team when you recognize that everyone's an individual and has something unique to contribute, you're unstoppable then. And what I love is that teams exist not only in sports. And that's a huge reason why I'm going into medicine. Teams are really, really important here. And you need to be able to appreciate every person for the skills that they have. And I think that I have always just loved being supported and therefore supporting my teammates. And I think that it's always a reciprocal relationship. A captain is not the end all be all. They have to learn 
from the people around them. And they just happen to be the one that communicates with the coach, you know? So I think that that's like a huge thing um, that I learned and I will always seek out teams no matter what I'm doing. That's great. Wonderful lessons. Um, yeah. A captain is not the person who yells the loudest or um, is just the one who scores the most goals or whatever, at least not the good captains, the ones who really can impact a team. Um, you know, they may be the ones that are MVP because they are the most valuable player on the team. They may score the most goals, whatever. They might be the best pitcher on the baseball team, whatever it is. But a true leader is someone who can connect with everybody else around them and figure out, you know, how to talk to that other person, how to get them fully invested in what's going on. Um, and, you know, if I were your captain, it would be like, hey, man, they try to tell you you can't play at MIDI. Are you are you like going to take this line down, or are we going to be hitting the gym at four thirty? Like, are we are you in? Like, I mean, what's are, is this this how you're going to close out your career, or are you going to like show you're going to show them what's up? Like, so like you have to learn. Like, not everybody would respond to that. Me, if any coach ever tried to tell me I couldn't do something, or any of my running friends ever said, "What? What do you think you're gonna you're gonna do? What?" I'm like, it's on. You're, you're questioning you don't think i can do this like oh please like thank you thanks for the motivation man it's like oh okay you're too old to run all six majors in the same year uh yeah no not too old no I feel, it's like just watch yeah just watch yeah it's going down it's happening and yeah wait till you see how consistent i'll be um but you know that was a big part of it you know like so some anybody out there you know if somebody's questioning or doubting whether you can do something man that that can always be your fuel um, and, you know, but you got to figure out on your teammates, you know, what motivates them intrinsically, extrinsically, like everybody's different. Everybody has their own style. Um, and of course, not just athletically, that same team structure, it works in business. It works in medicine. It works everywhere. Um, because you can't go into the operating room and be the world's greatest surgeon if the nurses on your team hate you. Okay. If they don't want to work on your team, if they think you're the biggest asshole and you have the biggest ego or you're mean to people, or you don't know how to speak to people properly, you know, no one is going to want to work with you. No one's going to want to work for you. What, however you phrase it, that's the facts. So these are important, important life lessons. And, um, you know, you had exposure to it, to it early. So that's cool. And that's why sports are everything, man. I mean, cause and then, of course, running is truly everything. We didn't get to the running stuff yet. We've been, we've been like saving all that. Um, and as far as, you know, transitioning now, so you're getting ready to, you know, basically, you know, move out of Brown at this point. You know, you're taking the MCAT. You're getting ready to go to medical school. So who was having an impact on you, you know, in that regard? Was, was there somebody specifically either at Brown or, you know, where you were doing your research? Was anybody having an impact there that was like leading you? onto the path that you're on now? Yeah, I've had some really great key mentors. I think really the biggest one that I've had over the years, his name's Dr. Ira Kirschenbaum. So he's a orthopedic surgeon and he works in the Bronx um, in the city. And he is a Brown undergrad graduate who would always come back to Brown and basically interview a bunch of undergrad kids to take them to do a summer fellowship in the city with his department. And so I was able to be a part of that the summer after my sophomore year of college. And it was totally life-changing. And really what it is, is that he exposed us to things that undergrads usually do not get exposed to. I was in the OR. I did research. I was in the clinic. I, I saw everything. and I was in love. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. You know, and I think also being an athlete, orthopedics is just a very, you know, accessible specialty. Um, it was very cool to 
have the, be feeling like I wanted to figure out how I could make my body achieve the most that it could. That's the same exact thing orthopedic surgeons are doing. You know, they're figuring out like, how can they help their patients really achieve what they want to achieve? And so he not only exposed me to medicine in the biggest way that I had, but he also has really stuck by me all the way to now, which has been really cool. And I've realized the power of mentorship really through him, you know, and and in small ways, he checks in and he sees how I'm doing and he, you know, sort of connects me to different people. And I think that that has been a very eye-opening experience for me, because again, I think that mentorship is really everything as you move forward. And, um, he's definitely been the biggest influence on me. And I've had many others, um, my research, um, basically my research investigator, the head guy who I worked for, Dr. Dioscaris Garcia, he was also really big for me. And it was just these people that gave me an opportunity that I worked with and really gave me responsibilities. And so I think I have been seeking those people out, especially now I'm at med school and I'm surrounded by extremely impressive people because I know that I love to get to know them, what their stories are, and then see how I can learn from them. What a great exposure. And uh, again, it's it's how we're, when we're being part of, when we're exposed to really good things in life and we've had a good experience with our education, it's natural. We want to give back, whether it's at Columbia, James Madison, Brown, it doesn't matter what where we went to undergrad. It doesn't matter where we go to grad school. But if we've had a good experience and people looked out for us, we want to do the same thing. And that's really where a great alumna uh, connections come in and, and it replays and builds upon itself over time. Um, and the fact that he threw you right into the fire and all of that stuff. Yeah. He's doing that intentionally because he's going to find out immediately who the players are and who the ones who are like, wait a minute, this is not what I signed on for because you know what? It's better off to find out now. Okay. And change direction, you know, figure out some other area of medicine you could work in or even not medicine. Um, I can't tell you how many friends of mine who went to law school or medical school who aren't doing either of those things. Cause at 60, you've kind of seen a little bit of everything in life. And you know what, somewhere along the way, you got to find out what's really going to make you happy. And you know, that's, that's super cool. And as far as running friends goes, one of my favorite guests who was on the show is Dr. Wakanda Tyler. So she is the chief of orthopedic cancer surgery at Columbia, um, right over by the armory. So I got a great connection for you, girl. I will hook you up. She's one of my favorite people. We'll, we'll go for a run in Central Park. You'll meet her. Total badass, so, beyond belief. Too funny you say that. I scrubbed into one of her surgeries this summer. And, and there we go. And there we go. Another reason we were supposed to be in the, yeah, you don't get any more awesome than Wakanda. So walking through the line, one of my favorite running people from London, who's also a badass, who's about to come on my show. And I just like stop and she gives me this huge hug. And we're just like talking about all kinds of stuff, a thousand miles an hour. Cause that's the only way I can talk like a hundred miles an hour, 12 different ideas going once. And I'm like, you see this girl right here? Total badass. She was on my show. Total boss, 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 boss. I said it about a hundred times ago. You don't get any, you don't get any more badass than her. And you know, she's one of my favorite people. And um, she ran also, she ran New York. She was out there running it. Uh, she was looking to run 315. Um, I think she ended up running like 325, but Wakanda is like the best of the best. So that'll be one of my missions. I'll set us up for a little group run. So you get a little extra time with her because she's literally one of my favorites and you'll have to listen to our podcast episode. So you'll have to go back because we talked a lot about her medical career and the choices she had to make and just, you know, how it plays a part 
in her life. So that's totally awesome. I'm so glad to hear that you had a chance to scrub it and, and be part of her group there. That is totally awesome. Because we talked a lot about the pandemic and how it just totally crushed the spirit and will of so many people. And so many of her interns were literally having to do completely different things because of COVID. And um, during the peak of it, when it was absolutely at its worst, I ran 10 marathons in 10 weeks and raised $8,000 for frontline healthcare workers and just used all that money to send the meals. So even though Wakanda and I were teammates for Central Park Track Club, I sent meals up to her whole group and delivered them myself. So, I mean- That's amazing. Yeah. No, I mean, look, you know what? It kept, it gave me a reason in the most stressed out, most horrible time when we all know what was going on. The people that weren't in New York don't realize that refrigerated trucks were like rolling up to hospitals and just like taking dead bodies out. And, you know, we were living in that in a way that most people don't ever want to know or ever comprehend. So um, that was one small thing that I could do. Um, you know, on my own, you know, <laughs> no crowds, no people running with a buff or a mask over my face running around. I did, I think I did three or four full marathons in Central Park, which by the way, I don't advise for anyone. Okay. Cause it will beat the living hell out of you. And I remember saying at one point to myself, Grace, oh man, you're being soft. You're not even doing all the Harlem Hills in the back. And I was just like, really? You're complaining to yourself <laughs> that you're not going, you're not doing the full loops because at one point I'd be like, I can't do another Harlem loop, but I'm I'm like okay so i cut across and then i'd be like oh man you like you're getting soft and i'd be like what like these are like full-blown conversations but you know what yeah exactly right yeah. side left side everything in between yeah. but and probably out loud as well i'm sure they weren't just between my ears you know so if there was anyone out there and there was some strange guy talking to himself at least now you have some context. Yes. And it was me. It was absolutely me. All right. So we got some, we got some future, some future takeaways. So now, now we got to make the transition to running, man, because we've been talking for like 50 minutes and we haven't even gotten into the running. So of course, running has been a part of your life. I mean, you're playing D1 college sports. You got a scholarship, you know, you got into Brown, you know, because of your academics and athletics. Um, when does running actually become part of the equation? Like what, it, how does, how does it happen? How does it take place? Let's get into that. So I think back up running was always peripherally around me, uh, growing up. I never really sought it out. And so I ran, I ran cross country in, uh, middle school and I'm doing air quotes for those of you. That yeah, can't we love air quotes. Uh, yeah. Because the courses were never longer than a mile and a half. And I purely was doing it to hang out with my friends. And yeah, I was fast. I could go out there. I could rip a mile and a half pretty quickly. And that was it. Um, and I remember one of my mom's friends who was a huge runner. Uh, she commented, oh, Grace has really good form. And that was kind of the end of, you know, that discussion. And then, um, you know, through productivity, there's a ton of runners. So those are always kind of the cool people that I was hanging out with. Um, one of the runners that came through, Julie Cully, she actually went to the Olympics. So I had to like, I had the opportunity to know her pretty well. and then. Eric Eisenhart, my main mentor from there, he's a big runner. And so all these people were big runners in my life, but that wasn't my focus at that time. So it was just kind of a cool thing that was, that was there. I would sign up for 5Ks, the turkey trot, I'd win my age group and then be done with it. So it was, it was very peripherally there. Um, and then when I finished playing lacrosse at Brown, I had a gap year between uh, college and medical school. And I was working, I was doing interviews for medical school. And my body was tired. 
it was really tired. I mean, I had just grinded, like I said, and you know, I was super strong and I think I needed to find the new normal. And so I actually ended up doing yoga for about nine months and like almost strictly yoga. I would run about a mile. Um, and that was even less than in lacrosse, obviously in the game, you're kind of going back and forth, but it was about January of 2020. So pre pandemic that my teammate, uh, Zoe Bernie, she reached out to me and she's like, Hey, would you want to run the, the New York city marathon this year? And I was thinking, and I was like, Oh my goodness, I have not run over three miles in many, many months. <laughs> but, and this was my, uh, my midi friend who had about mile long legs who could run for days. Like I knew she could do it. Um, but I was, I was not so sure about myself, but I said, yes, because I figured it would be a fun thing to give me purpose again. I was really starting to crave that athletic focus. You know, I think my body felt good and I was really trying to find what my next move would be. So we signed up for 2020 and then obviously that, uh, got canceled. Um, and so I had started training and really trained for far too long. I knew it was going to be canceled, but kind of used that time to figure out how running would fit into my life, which I actually really grateful for that time. Um, it really just let it become a passion and a daily meditative act. And so through that sort of initial training period, um, I was able to make it an integral part of my life. And I loved it. Once I could finally hit that groove, it was, it was like nothing I've ever experienced. And I'm a huge music girl. So I would love the chance to kind of go out and jam to something or take them off and run a friend and run with Eric, my old, my old and current mentor. And so it was really cool to also find a new community that keeps coming back to that. Um, and so as I then sort of transitioned into medical school and they opened up the 2021 registration for New York City Marathon, I was thinking, Ooh, can I do this with my workload? And I realized, of course you can. This is the thing that gives you sanity. In the middle of all the craziness, running is what totally gives me the time to take a break, step back, and just have me time. And so I signed up and did all the training throughout all my classes and everything. And what I love is that I loved the training. I absolutely loved the buildup, the training, the long runs, everything. Yes, it was hard, but it was, you know, I'm I'm actually really sad I'm not training anymore. (laughs) Well, you're a grinder. So... A marathon training cycle is made for somebody like you. Um, and I think most people, it's too much. Um, they don't, it, it, they can be inundated. It's like, or they start looking down the back end of the calendar and they start seeing, oh, the runs are going to get to this Like, No, no, man, you stay in the day, in the moment, in the run, in the mile you're in. Ryan Hall wrote it in his book. My mantra behind me is stay in the fight. Um, so like, and that doesn't just apply to running. It applies to life, man. Like when you got hit with your curveball about being a midi, can't be a midi anymore, man. That's what staying in the fight is, man. It's like, no, I'm not out of here, man. Nobody's punching my ticket yet. Uh, I'm not signing on, signing off or on for this, man. I'm in, I'm staying in. So here's what's up. But in your case, you know, a grind, a cycle, hard stuff. It's it's awesome, man. You're there for all of it. The long runs, the regular repetitive running every day. And you use the word meditative. I think it's important because 
look, we need some kind of space that centers us. I've never been a yoga person and I never will be because I'm the <laughs> least flexible person on the planet. And like, if I walk into a Chelsea Piers class, I would like try to hide in the back of the room somewhere, but somehow they find you, they find <laughs> you. And it's like, no, please. I'm turning eight shades of red. I'm like tomato red. Like, no, I just want to go. I'm not here to like check out the hot girls in the class. I just, just trying to learn how to breathe and just like, disappear into you know the ether i don't want to be seen i don't even want the instructor to see me and it's like somehow they find me so like yoga and me nah that's not going to happen um but the meditative piece of it you know of centering yourself of grounding yourself with the workload that you have it's everything man i mean how else can you find you know that balance with the stress you know of the things that you have on your plate so running was destined to come to you. It was just a matter of when, I mean, you were using it all the way through your youth years and all the way up, but then it really became the center of it all, which it is right now. And even if you don't recognize it yet, you will soon. I mean, you'll, you'll soon realize that no day will ever be complete without a run, or at least thought the thought of it. Okay. I have to skip today, but tomorrow, like my thought is there already and I already know what's going to go down. So it's, it, um, it's awesome that you found it this early, you know, in your life, because I mean, some people would think, well, I didn't run in high school, college. So what? I didn't run till I was 30. Um, I ran for all my sports the same way you did, but I didn't do any of that stuff. I didn't even do a 5k. Um, so, so there you go. So which friend, um, you know, you guys were running, weren't you running for a charity? Weren't you running for a, I thought you ran for ACS. Yeah. Cause we got to give ACS a shout out. I mean, come on, man. Yeah. yeah I mean, those guys are doing amazing oh. work. Um, yeah, so you got Ramon, you got the team, uh, my buddy David Fan Fan. I mean, I know so many people, you know, in that organization. I've run for ACS before and raised some money for them. Um, amazing organization, doing doing incredible work. Um, so that's the other component, you know, because then one, what it, we're back to the team thing again, man, because you're part of a team, man. There's the fundraising component that if you need to have someone to do the workouts with, I mean, did, did that fit for you at all with your schedule? Were you able to get out and do some runs with that group? Probably not. Right. Yeah. So that was, that was the one bummer. And it's funny you said that I'm excited for when I can be more part of a team, um, a running team. Cause I think I just was running at crazy hours and I was always running up in Washington Heights. I was up at five 30 and you know, I never really was able to make it there, but even just going to pick up my American Cancer Society, um, basically goodie bag from Ramon, just the energy there and like seeing all the people and knowing that you were immediately a part of the team just by being, you know, fundraising for them and being with them. It was, it was really cool. So I'm excited for the future when I can be more involved. Great. Well, at some point, you know, it doesn't ever really ever settle down. It's just a matter of you figure out like, okay, and your hours and your rotations and all the things that are going to continue to change and evolve for you, you'll just, you'll figure it out like what Kenda has and everyone else before you who, you know, ha is doing these amazing things in the, in the healthcare community, which I have such mad respect for. So do you run up at Van Cortland and all? Cause you, you know, that's a great place to run. I know. I actually haven't. It's so funny you said that. Um, but I've been, I've been meaning to get up there, so I'll have to check it out. Yeah, we'll have to fix that. That's where my son ran his high school cross-country meets up at Van Cortland. Vanny, as it's known, um, just to get off the roads, you know, to get on the dirt, to get on the trails, to get some very different hills uh, up and down. Man, just it'll, it'll feel so different. It'll feel so different than any kind of running you've done before. And it's a great place to host group, group runs on a Saturday or Sunday, so... 
I'll keep you posted. You'll now be part of group run email list. So, you know, if you can ever actually work it out and, you know, get out for an hour or two. And, uh, you know, I can tell you, man, I got some pretty amazing people that I'm blessed to run with. So it's super cool. All right. So let's go into the race, man, because here it is, man. First time marathoner, Grace rolling out there. And let me tell you something, man, most first time marathoners are like, man, if I have to walk this thing and finish it in nine or 10 hours or eight hours or six hours or whatever, like that's amazing. And they get every bit as much love and respect for me. But you know, girl, you're out there like absolutely killing it in your very first marathon. So walk us through it, man. And we, and I don't mean like coming across the finish line and what time you ran. I mean, take me out. I've been there. I've run 10, but Take me out to the village. Tell me what it was like for you, like rolling into Fort Wadsworth and just seeing this sea of people in three villages. Like, talk me through the whole deal, man. What were you feeling? Yeah. Um, I was so excited. Just the lead up that week of, and the taper was killing me. I was like, oh, I hate tapering. It is, I just want to be running. I'm so excited. So it was really cool to finally be there. And what I think was the coolest thing is the rush to get on the ferry. And you realize as you're standing there, all these people are just as crazy as me. And it's such an awesome feeling. And the feeling I had when I was sitting, I, you know, I had my spread, I had my peanut butter and banana sandwich was my, which was my pregame meal all through college. And I felt like it was pregame. I had the same butterflies in my stomach. It put me right back to, okay, you're about to compete. And I knew like, okay, I'm competing against myself. I am not competing against these thousands of people that are running. And that was the coolest part. Um, and so it was just like sheer excitement. I was there super early. Um, I ended up being there. I think I sat there for like an hour and a half. I was wave two um, and got there with all the wave oneers. So it was a really, really exciting moment. And, you know, of course you have nerves, you know, you're hoping things go well. I've, I've definitely had a, a little bit of a struggle with some GI stuff while I run. So I was like, is this going to be an on day or an off day? Um, so going to the start line, I my face hurt so much from smiling. I was just so excited to be there. Well, it was, I love how you explained all that. Um, because yeah, it's a, it's a brand of crazy that people who don't run people who've never laced up their shoes, they're never going to get it. They're never going to understand it. And I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to reach any of those people. The people I'm trying to reach are somebody who's never, you know, maybe they ran in high school or college or, or maybe they played a different sport. Um, but maybe they're going to listen to one of my shows and go like, wow, this dude's crazy. He's still doing this shit at 60. And here he is talking to this awesome 24 year old, you know, med student who's going to be like a surgeon one day killing it. Like, you know, man, there's a reason why we have such good energy. There's a reason why there's so much positivity flowing, talking about running because it can change your life, man. It can actually change your life by being active. And if you can't run, man, get out on a mountain bike, man. And or go hike on a trail, take your dog on a long walk for two or three hours, man. Even if you don't run, find some way to be active, man, and get outside and play a sport. Because for my generation, the people that are my peers that I grew up with, they're like, oh, I can't play tennis anymore. My shoulder hurts. I can't play golf anymore. My back, my back doesn't help with my swing. Or like, how do you run marathons, man? Aren't they bad for your knees? Aren't they bad for your back? And it's just like, here, you're not watching. It's the middle finger being thrown in your direction. Like, come on, man. What is with this insanity? Get up 
and do something. Move through nature. Move through life. I guarantee you, you will smile more. You will be happier. Um, and in that village, like if you could channel that energy, forget about the race, forget about the course, forget about the fans, just walking around in that village, seeing people either seriously scared out of their minds because they don't know what they're doing and people are speaking like 30 different languages. It's just wild. People have no idea where they're going. You know, it's like when you're in the mall and it's like, you are here. Well, like I actually am one of the people who actually knows where they are. I know the blue, orange, and green villages. I know where they are. I know where the start lines are. Like I actually could be one of those people that could walk around out there and go, oh, you need Dunkin' Donuts coffee? Okay, you can go over here by the giant screen. Where are the VIP tents? Oh, there are back over here you know where's the bridge okay that's for the local competitive corral and the green start that's on the lower level like i i know where all this stuff is and you know what it centers me you know that if i see people scared or nervous or they're freaking out a little i'll just be like hey what's going on what do you need where do you need to get to no no you're fine don't worry about it it's all gonna work out so you got a chance to just feel that crazy energy and not only that and, you know, humanity, you know, just like getting ready to take the shit on because it's been closed down. New York City Marathon hasn't happened. It's been a couple of years now since 2019. And, you know, there's just all this bottled up energy. And I felt bad for some friends that were in certain countries that couldn't come here. They just couldn't travel. They weren't allowed to. They couldn't get here. And my heart breaks for them because I was able to run London, Boston, and New York and you know, do my part, you know, get on a plane, go stay in a hotel, go spend money, go see my friends, go hug my friends. But we got up that morning and, you know, the weather wasn't supposed to be anything like it was. I mean, I'm coming across the bridge and I'm just seeing this weather, this sun just like coming up and the skies are blue. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? Are you seriously kidding me? Is this really going to be the day that we're going to have? And, you know, I know, I know what it's like but when you got onto that bridge, okay, now we got to transition to the race because I know like my heart will still skip beats. It will literally flutter when I see those helicopters hovering overhead and I see those boats spurting that water out, you know, down below us beneath the bridge. Like it, it can take your breath away, man. It can literally just be a moment that you're just like, wow, is this happening? Somebody pinched me. So what was it like for you? Oh, that was the perfect description. It can take your breath away and it can make you run way too fast. <laughs> you know, you're just so excited and you look down at your watch and you're like, oh shit, this is so not sustainable. <laughs> so I, it was, it was, I really don't have words to describe it. And I have such a flashbulb memory of, like you said, running onto that bridge and just feeling such a surge of power from all the people around me. And I will do anything to feel that as much as I can. <laughs> I mean, that's, I think that's beautiful the way you described it because you can actually feel the energy around you. That's, that's how tangible it is. And, um, you know, people smiles, people are crying. I mean, people are just literally like stopping on the side of the bridge because they want to get a shot of, of the, of the choppers like hovering overhead or the boats and just all of this stuff. And, you know, you see people running up, even that early in the race, you know, your first mile is like straight up the Verrazano. It's the steepest hill on the whole damn course. And you're absolutely right. People do it every time. They're just like, they just take off, man, because it's adrenaline fuel. It's like, oops, I have 25 more to go. And I just like, just blew up this first hill. Maybe I better just back things off just a touch, um, you know, but you just see people the whole day, like it's, they're running. And you just see it happen. They connect. 
They see somebody out there in Brooklyn. They see somebody out there in Queens or one of their running friends comes up on them that they're never expecting in a million years that they're going to see. And it's like, yo, Grace, what the hell's going on? Like, what's up? Like, that's what it's like out there. So for you, you've never run a marathon in your entire life. Like, you know, now you're off the Verrazano, you're into Brooklyn, you know, talk me through the boroughs, talk me through your experiences. Like, what were your like favorite memories of the day as you're making your way along the course? So I was lucky. I had three really important people that kind of, they've run New York before and they gave me great advice. So I felt like I kind of had a a key to that. Um, Kim Harris, Eric Eisenhart, and Kristen Prendergast, they they kind of guided me. They said, first eight, stay slow. Don't don't jump the gun. I was trying to jump the gun a little bit, the first mile. But then I pulled back. I was able to pull myself back, which I'm not usually good at. Um, and I, I had a, a really great training plan that I felt like had really prepared me. I did a 22 miler as my last long run and felt pretty good. Um, so I'm, I'm going and the, what I love is the boroughs are so unique and it's so obvious, right? You get into Brooklyn and I mean, just the first fans you see, it's just so exciting. And when a fan sees the person that they're there to cheer for and they go wild, it pumped me up just as much. I was just as excited for them cheering Robbie's name as it, as if it was mine. And that was really cool. And so I was kind of for the first half of the entire race. I would say I felt freaking awesome. I was just kind of flying, keeping my pace a little bit chiller, not, not trying to go too fast. Um, but I was starting to have a couple of those GI issues that I was talking about. I, I usually run with chews and I run with liquid IV and I've never been a huge water drinker. I could never drink water during lacrosse games. It's a skill I definitely need to work on. Um, so that started to become a little bit more of a problem as I was going over the Queensboro. Um, and I knew that once I was going over the Queensboro, I was going to be in Manhattan and all of my people were going to be there. So I was like, okay, I need you guys right now. I'm starting to definitely feel a little bit of a, you know, definitely, definitely struggling a little bit. Cause I, I, every time I took a sip of water, my stomach started to start to cramp. So I decided I was going to nix the water, which I will take any and all tips on how to fix that problem because I know I need to get better with that. Um, so I come over to Queensboro and I immediately see my family and it was, it was just amazing. Like my parents both basically had tears in their eyes, my sisters, my boyfriend, my uncle, my sister's friends, my sister's boyfriends. It was just like this huge crowd of people that was there and they were so excited to cheer for me for eight seconds. And it was, it was amazing. And then as I went up first ab, I had a ton of people that I knew and that were screaming my name and I need them to know how much I needed each and every one of them, because that was definitely my grind up first ab was really hard. And I kept a smile on my face the entire time because fake it till you make it, baby, fake it till you become it. That's what I've always said. And so that was really like sort of the tough part of of the race, not to say the end wasn't really hard, but I think there was sort of a period there where I could have either sort of cashed in, sort of taking it easier, slowed down, but I sort of kept my pace where I wanted it to be. And as I went to the Bronx, which has the most insane, awesome, crazy energy you could imagine for that short loop you're in there. Um, and then into Harlem, it was, it was right around Harlem where I realized I could, I could break three thirty, which is a goal that I hadn't really had. Um, and so to realize that, and to also realize that my legs were in the most severe pain they've ever been in, um, was a funny, uh, 
co-realization. So I really, at that point decided I was going to, I was going to embrace the suck and I was just going to, I was going to do it. And I think that the crowds give you so much and I thank God for them, uh, on Sunday. Love it. Um, I love how you describe if it's eight seconds with your family, it feels like it's like a minute or two, but it's not, it, it is eight seconds. Um, and I've had those kind of encounters and then run backwards down the street and just wondered how I didn't take out 10 other runners or just trip myself and fall and, you know, end up, you know, crashing into a barrier. But somehow, I don't know, we're given grace. We make it through these moments and your name is Grace. So double bonus there. Um, you know, like your mom, your dad, your boyfriend and all these other people are there. It just it's just hard to put into words like how important it is to us to have the people out there. But I, I think you hit on something that I just absolutely love that I want to go back to is it doesn't matter if somebody goes bananas for somebody else. I had a guy, the banana man that people were flipping out over banana, go banana, go banana man. Yeah. I had a guy in full Indian dress. He's Indian. I remember finding him on Instagram at some point. He was running in full native dress and he was getting huge, huge cheers. In London, there was a guy, Tree. He was running, you know, to break the Guinness Book of Records. He was a tree. And I was like, go tree, go tree. It's like, it's hard to imagine that people in costumes or someone else running that sees their mom, their dad, their boyfriend, their girlfriend, their husband, their friends in a neighborhood in Brooklyn could supercharge you because those cheers aren't for you, but you can, man, you can feed off of it. And those crowds are like, they, they are every bit as important to us as every mile we've run in our training, as every, you know, thing that we've done to get ourselves physically ready to do that race. Without those people out there, we can never have those days that we have. And as great as the crowds were, it was not a true, it, it, the energy of the crowds was every bit as New York energy, but there were thinner areas of New York than there's ever been. And that's just a fact of life. I mean, look, people are still panicked about where we are um, and maybe shouldn't be, um, but it's not my place to tell anybody how to live their life. Okay. I just know that I'm going to live mine. Okay. I'm going to go out there and I'm not going to be fearful and freaked out and locking myself in a room. I'm going to go outside. And I'm going to be living out in the world. Okay. And you know what? If you came out there and spectated that race, you would have gotten a lot of energy back just by being out there and just cheering for runners. So going up First Avenue, as you said, there were more bare spots on First Avenue this year than there normally are. It does thin out, of course. I mean, once you get up into the 90s, it starts to thin out a little bit, but not much. It's really like when you get to about 100th, 105th, 110th, where it starts to thin out a little more. But there's still plenty of people there. This year, it was thinner than normal. Um, but it was still amazing. So even though there aren't as many people out there, they still brought the energy, still brought the hype. Um, and yeah, the Bronx is like next level. Um, it's the <laughs> shortest area of the course, but it's seriously next level. They're right underneath that bridge. It was wild. I got them so hyped. It was like bananas, man. I, I got those people like off the, off the rails, man. I like <laughs> practically ran into them over there because I also know that is the last bridge is coming up a few feet ahead of you. And it's like, if you see one more bridge in New York, you're just like, I'm not 
running any more bridges, okay? Bridges are hills. Hills are not good. I'm tired. I don't want any more hills. I don't want any more bridges. So that usually you'll see a sign that says the last fucking bridge. I think this year it wasn't. It just said the last damn bridge or whatever. They got politically correct or whatever. But I preferred the last fucking bridge because you know what? It is. It's like, and when you go by, it's like, yes, there's my sign to you. Drop some F-bombs. I'm out of here. We're done. Um, I'm never going back. (laughs) Yeah, and I thank you. I'm not coming back. But Fifth Avenue, when I take people on the last 10-mile run, and I was part of the Tracksmith run this year and and did that one, I also host a couple of runs like that a couple of weeks leading up. Because I think the more times you can run that last 10 miles to literally just put it in your head. Um, And even with traffic lights and cars, you know what? We all want to run a straight run. We don't want to pause our watches. We're runners, man. That's not what we're about. We don't want to be getting... And the people in the Tracksmith run with me are like, dude, what are you doing? I'm like, nah, man, I'm an old guy. I can get away with this. I'm literally like putting my hand out like the traffic cop, like, you know, to cross the road. And like, I don't know how I haven't gotten run over to this point, but I haven't. Um, they just see me out there in the road with a big smile. And I'm like, hey, what's up? You know, because they look at you and they're kind of know you're going to go anyway. So if you don't go, you're making a mistake. So you might as well go. Um, but when we did that run and I've done it two or three times, it really can allay people's nerves because if they've seen that last 10 miles and sure everybody runs in the park that's local to new york or even if you're from long island or westchester or new jersey or wherever any of the you know close by immediate areas you can get in and run the last couple of miles in the park but you really want to run that last 10 man because you get off that bridge and it's like a scene on a gladiator man that's my only proper description man you come off the 59th street bridge and it's like wait a minute what is happening here there's just like a wall of sound people are going bananas and and they're cheering for us so it's like hey uh, i'm in i'll do this you know i'm i'm totally down with this so you're um you go up out of the Bronx. What was your Fifth Avenue experience before you got into the park like? I mean, what did you think? I mean, that's the, I think it's the toughest section on the course. Yeah, I agree. I had run it for my, I ran a 10 miler the week before um, and I had run the Fifth Ave part. And I think just from not being able to drink, my legs were just toasted. And so it was really hard. Like I had felt good. Like I knew what I was getting myself into. I had seen it, I had run it and it was still like, holy shit this is really hard. Like, and I think I've had tough runs and that was the hardest run I've ever done, which makes sense. I mean, it's the longest, it's a marathon, everything, but you know, at that point in the race, my legs were really feeling it. And there's, it's funny. I've looked at some of the pictures of me and you can see myself actually zone in. I do this thing. I wear a hat when I run and sometimes I put my head down and I just have to lock in and you can see me, I'm on fifth Ave. My head's completely down. And, and not like completely, completely down, but enough that I can block out things and just get into a zone and try to keep going. And it's funny because, um, a mantra I got from my mentor is stay in So very close to stay in the fight. And that's what I just kept saying to myself on fifth app was like, stay in, stay in, stay in. Cause it was really hard. <laughs> I love it. Um, because you know, whatever your mantra is, um, it's gotta be something that has some power to you. It doesn't matter if somebody else thinks it's cool or sexy, it's not going to help you. It has to be meaningful to you. And if that helps center you and also, hell yes, man, I'm in the, I'm in the head down club. I've done it many times where I'm just like, I am going into battle mode. I'm going into combat mode. There'll be no conversations with anyone near me. Okay. All my smiles and all my great shots when I'm doing peace signs and jet planes and all that, that's all great. 
but that's not when I'm going into battle zone, man. It's like I have to grind. I've got to go into a seriously difficult spot right here. And Fifth Avenue is always that spot because it may not look like much on the elevation chart. In fact, it doesn't look like shit on an elevation chart. And I don't understand how it doesn't translate, but I don't even care. Even if you're just doing the 10 and you didn't do the 16 before, it's still hard because each of those climbs are enough to really make you work and really dig in and you just keep looking. And, and we all know if you live in the city, 20 blocks is a mile and you're just trying to erase it and you're looking and it's like, I still only went two more blocks. I still have like, I still have to get to 90th so we can get into Central Park where you get to power up zone. And I, um, I do a bunch of shakeouts and get people together, you know, all the years, just trying to get people excited and hyped. And, you know, then we'll go do a brunch after. I'm always like, when you get to Central Park, it's your power up zone. It's like a video game, man. It's like, you got an extra life. Okay. So, and then we'll go to me, but there's still hills in the park. I'm like, yeah, yeah, but they don't count. They don't count because you've run them a million times. And they're like, what are you talking about? You still, I go, well, you get to run down Cat Hill instead of going up Cat Hill. You know, would you prefer running up Cat Hill? And they're like, yeah, but after you bomb down that, you got to go like way back up on the other side. I go, yeah, but it's short. You know, I'm just, I'm just lying my ass off because I know it's tough, but you really can't breathe until, you know, really like the 25 mile mark when you start to dump out towards Central Park South. That's when you really can, you get that downhill there and you get to Central Park South and then you're like, okay, this is actually flat. I mean, it may have a little bit of rise and fall, but not enough to really cause you any pain. And when you dump into the park, you know, you get in there. I mean, what was that like? I mean, you know, cause I mean, you've obviously run a ton of miles in the park for you. Like was the park hype city? Was it crazy? Or are you just in like the focus mode? Like, you know, get me out of here. I'm almost done. Like, what were you thinking at that point? Yeah. I mean, park was hype city. I was still burning. I think, you know, I, I turned into central park and had the mental power up. Didn't necessarily have a physical power up with my legs, um, but started to push my pace anyway. Cause I kind of, at that point, I knew what my training was had been, and I knew that I could rely on that. So I started to push, and then my crazy family had like run from First Ave into Central Park. My amazing friends had come, and they had shirts that said "How about that plashy?" And there's an ass right in the middle of my name that was all caps, and it was amazing. So I see my friend. Oh yeah, these shirts. Oh, there's a picture of me on the back. It's hilarious. So I, I see my friends, I almost start crying because I'm just like, they're amazing and they're supporting me. My one friend's on my other friend's shoulders. I mean, you know, and my family's going wild. My one friend, my one friend from high school who I played lacrosse with all through growing up jumps in and just slaps me on the ass. I'm in a lot of pain. And I look at her and I was like, I love you. Cause it was a physical power up. And she, her name's Bree. She's hilarious. Um, and you know, that energy was just unreal. And then I sort of came out onto Central Park South. And that was when I realized I was, I was really close to sort of crapping. You know, my legs were really, really not feeling. I was really pushing my pace and I was still able to push my pace, which I, I was happy about. Um, but it was, it was hard. And then I, I turned and rounded in back into Central Park for that final stretch. And my family had sprinted all the way across the park um, and were there right at that you know, sort of the last part that spectators could be at before the finish. And I just took off sprinting. I was like, I don't know where this is coming from, but I've got a sprint in me. Um, so the park was amazing. And I felt like it was home because I've been there so much. And I think that that's something that's really cool about being 
someone from the city who runs the New York City Marathon is you really have this like homegrown pride when you're finishing in Central Park. I love it. What a great description. A little a slap on the ass, man. You can't, I don't know if you could beat that because, man, we do need that sometimes, okay? Because it literally is a shock to the freaking system. Like, what the fuck just happened here? Like, holy crap. And then you got people on top of shoulders. I'm going to need all the photos for the collage. I need them all. Um, send them over. We need to see what's going on here. We need to feel it. Um, when you were ripping on Central Park South, did you see the 800 meter sign? Because sometimes people who don't run the course as often, and there's also a sign that tells you one mile to go. So like, these are important things because, you know, you had a goal and you see, you really didn't even have the goal, but like out there you realized, Hey man, you got a shot to break 330, which is like insane for a first marathon. That is like incredible, amazing beyond insane. So like, at what point did you see the mile to go sign? Did you see the 800 meters and look at your watch and go, okay, it's on if I like really rip it here or no, did you just, were you just running and just like not even paying attention? Yeah, no, I definitely, I mean, I saw all those signs and then the 800 meter sign, I clearly remember I had listened to a podcast with Shalane Flanagan the week before that was like, save something for the last 800. It's hard. And so I was like, okay, I know this is hard, but I also know that I can freaking do this. So it was that was kind of playing on a loop in my head. And I was like, okay, I don't know if I saved anything, but I'm going to use it. <laughs> and you know, that's when I sort of took off. Love it. And it, it's really hard to put into words, you know, even though we run there and that's our park and, you know, and people say to me all the time, like, I actually have a nickname, the mayor of central park, but I'm like, yeah, but it's everyone's park. But, you know, I think that's just one of those wonderful things. I'm 16. I've run a zillion miles there and people see me and they know me. So I'll happily take that name, man. I'm not going to give that name back. I didn't come up with it myself. My buddy, Greg Mackin did run love New York. Um, so it's like one of my favorites, but when I'm in that park, I always feel like I have more power. I have more strength. I have more force. Like I can channel it and I can channel it when I'm just doing a regular run, like just coming back saying, okay, I got to get ready today. Well, I know where I'm going. I'm going to go, I'm going to go do some hills in Central Park, man, or I'm going to do just Harlem loops in the back and I'm going to run 16 miles of just Harlem. Literally, that's it. Just up and down, up and down, up and down, beat the quads up. That's how you get ready for Boston, by the way, because somebody qualified for Boston in their very first marathon. And I hope I'm going to see you up there in April, man. I hope so, man. We got to make the breaking news right here. Well, sadly, I am going into my crazy clinical year. So I will be rotating through the hospital and I will be in the midst of pretty crazy clinical rotations. I wish like hell I could do it, but my goal is to do it 2023. So whether I have to requalify, I'll figure it out, do a half, something like that. But that's the dream. I'm definitely going to do it. It just sadly, I don't think will be next year. That's okay. That's all right. You'll get there and you'll get there when you're ready and when you're as juiced about it as you were for New York City. So take me, take me across, you know, your crazy ass family who we already love is sprinting all the hell over New York City, you know, from First Avenue to, you know, you know, Fifth Avenue and now to the finish area. So man, this, this, this family's baller territory. We love them. Um, and your crazy ass friends and boyfriends. So they all get, you know, huge kudos as well. So the last like eight, you know, you see that last 400 meter sign, you know, over there on the right. What is that like coming home, you know, coming across the line for the very first time? Because man, you've never run a marathon, man. And here it is. It's the 50th New York City Marathon. What was it like ripping across, you know, for that last 400? It was the most amazing feeling I've ever had. And I, I almost get emotional thinking about it, which is funny because I just... I had worked so hard. And I think about, I started training in 2020 for 2020. 
you know, so this was such a long road coming and I, I didn't come from being a huge, huge runner. And so I felt really proud of having done it. And I also was just so amped that I'd broken 330, not realizing it was a qualifying time. Just, I, I think it's, I have an inner competitiveness with myself. And once I had set a mark and then I beat it, it was like, damn, like, I am so proud of doing that. And solely inside my own head. And then, and then I have the beauty of running into you. So it was a really fun ending because I got to then link up with someone who this has been your thing for so long. And I so remember the way that we, the way that we ended up meeting was someone said, that's New York city in the books. And you were like, Oh, and London and Berlin for me. And I was like, damn, really? That's half of Project Eclipse. And I was just so impressed. And that was sort of what, you know, made it go. And and as you were talking, I was like, I can't wait to run my next one. Like I had just finished. My legs were totally shot. My lips were turning blue. I wasn't too hot. You know, I got to figure that out. Um, but I was already so excited to run my next one. Unbelievable. Um, you get chills. Even at my age, running my 60th marathon, you get chills coming across a finish line like that with all of those people out there giving love and giving energy and, you know, just knowing, you know, what it takes to actually make that happen. You know, how many miles did you run? How many times did you get up at 4.30? Or in my case, I run a lot of times even after midnight. So we're all, we all have to fit it in at some point, whether it's in super crazy hours before the sun comes up or the opposite, way, way late because work and life and podcasts all get mashed in. And it's like, there's only so many hours we have. And, you know, but you're not going to give up that run because it's a privilege to run. It's a privilege to get out that door and to go get those miles in. And we always feel better with the minute we get that run in. The minute we come back, we don't ever go like, oh, Grace, why did you do this thing? Why did you run? Run, this sucked. No, no, it's always like, oh, I'm going to sleep so much better now um, because I'm a late evening runner many more times. I'll sleep better. It seems silly to say that, but for me... I, my body can wind down. I will be stressing if I didn't run or I push it off and just say, I didn't get the run and like, I got it in. And you know what? Now I'm centered. Now I feel like I will sleep better and I'll have my day set up for me tomorrow. And maybe tomorrow I'll be able to run in the middle of the day, um, you know, or earlier in the day, whatever the case might be. But you cross the finish line, you're numb, you're getting cold, you meet some crazy ass dude and you end up yeah. on his podcast, which is totally awesome. And then you're already, I'm ready for my next one. If that isn't marathoning in a nutshell right there, because you know, like so many other people will be like, I'm never going to do another one again. Oh, no. I'm never going to do another one again. I'm never going to do another one. Enter, enter, enter. That's what happens, you know? And you know, there are a handful of people I've met in my life that did one handful, you know, pretty much everyone I know who's ever done one is like, well, I got to sort that out. I think I could do a better job. I need to learn how to feel better. I need to do this better, or I need to do more hills or whatever the case might be. So what a, what an incredible experience. And you got to do it in your home, home park, if you will, like your home field, home park, NYC, you know, with your family there, you know, part of it. And then also helping, you know, ACS, you know, doing, doing the fundraising component. So there's like so much, you know, so much good in there and it's, it's fantastic. So kudos, man. I mean, you crushed it. What can I say? Impressive as hell. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I, I ran in honor of my grandma. She passed in 2019, she passed from cancer. And I think that when it got really hard, I could feel her. 
and I had her initials on my sneakers. And I think that doing it for the American Cancer Society and fundraising and having that be a huge part of it totally makes it an even better experience. A hundred percent. We often talk about the why, a runner's why, and what are you out there for, other than for mental health, for meditative, restorative, um, to physically feel good, to just not give in to age, like whatever part of your life journey you're on, you know, like it's still, it's never easy to, to make that conscious choice to say, I say at the end of every show, keep lacing them up, keep getting out the door and always remember to stay in the fight. I say those words at the end of every show as much for myself as I do for everybody who listens to this show, who gets to be on the show and share their inspiring story. Because you know what, how many times it's easy to say, you know what, Grace, you can do it tomorrow. You know what, Grace, we can do it on Wednesday. You know, we have more of an opening. Yes, you can. You absolutely can. No question. Give yourself grace. Grace gets to give herself grace. It's the double grace. But you know what? When we actually lay some up and we actually make ourselves, push ourselves through whatever it is, our procrastination, our bullshit excuse, our 400 other things that we can come up with and justify why we don't really need to do this today. When we win that individual battle, and we put those shoes on and get out the door, good things always come, right? Absolutely. And your why, you know, for your grandmother being out there, choosing a charity that mattered, you know, that's every bit as powerful and can be tapped into because, you know, there's people that are close to us that we've lost, their spirit never leaves us. They're always with us, you know, whether they're on our shoulder, they're in our heart, in our heads, wherever it is, whether it's their sayings or you could just close your eyes and you could just feel his or her presence, like they'll always be with you. But the fact is, you know, when you hit some tough spots out there and you thought about her and you had her on your sneakers, it makes a difference, man. And you know what? For people that listen to my show that'll say, well, I'll never run Boston if I don't qualify. And I blast those people to oblivion and back. And I just like, you know what? Suck it up. I don't want to hear anything about that bullshit. You know what? Everybody in life can fundraise. You know, I always hear, oh, I don't want to bother my friend. You know what? No one's bothering anybody. You know, lose your bullshit excuses, lose your ego, and find a charity that's meaningful to you because that's the single most important thing. It has to be a cause that you actually care about, that you actually believe in, and if you do, then you're going to meet great people like Ramon and other runners that are running for ACS that have lost somebody, or maybe somebody's not lost. Maybe they're on their way to maybe potentially checking out on the other side, and you want to show them, hey, man, I'm going to I'm going to run for this charity. I'm going to raise money to help research and create maybe a world where we don't have to worry about cancer in the future. So it's great that, you know, that why helped you, you know, when, when you needed it the most. Mm -hmm. Cool. Well, listen, we covered a lot of ground. I always say to everybody before we roll out of a show, is there anything we didn't get to, um, you know, that we didn't get a chance to speak to, um, you know, maybe just that you have a chance to just say something, you know, kind of on the way out, you know, just to, you know, before we roll out something, a topic we didn't get to or, or something near and dear that maybe you're thinking about for this upcoming year or, you know, with your future, with, you know, you know, getting into medicine, just something we didn't hit that you want to just cover off before we roll out. I think we really hit most of the, the things that we were, we wanted to talk about, but I think something that's really big is that I highlight how much support I had and the people that really got me there. Um, and just how grateful I am. I, had a text from the woman who gave me my training plan, Kristen Prendergast. 
She's a, she's a doctor, mom of three, runs tons of marathons, is a total badass. And her text was, that's a BQ. Registration opens Monday. Just saying. Sort of surround yourself with the people that you want to be like, and you know, you will just feel so good. And I, I'm so grateful for her, Eric Eisenhart. He will forever be my best mentor. And he ran my last long run with me and gave me that mantra and really coached me through so many things in my life. And I just want people to know that finding community, no matter what it is, whether it's through sport, whether it's through faith, whether it's through common interests, whatever it may be, find that because it'll fuel you. I absolutely love that. What a great place to land because it's gratitude based and um, we can't make it through something as hard as a marathon without having people you know, that are around us, that empower us, that believe in us, that support us, that are there for us. We just can't do it. Um, you know, whether it's the people who work on us on their tables to keep us healthy, whether it's their family that are encouraging us, whether it's people in the fundraising groups that are, you know, leading a training program, whatever, whatever, and whomever these people are, they have such an important role in us being able to do something that's just so awesome. And it's wonderful that you're thinking of all them because yeah, they had a big impact on you being able to do what you did. And, you know, I know that you coming on my show, it was meant to be. We met for a reason. That's the way I've always lived my life. We met because we were supposed to meet. I wanted to have a first time marathon on this show for a while. It's episode 60. I ran my 60th marathon. You ran your first. There's like so much symmetry and just good feeling and good vibes about it. So I'm excited. And I know, Grace, that a lot of people are going to be inspired by your story. You're doing awesome stuff. You killed it on the run. You're going to be, you know, doing big stuff, you know, in the medical space, you know, soon. And uh, I'm just excited to have had the chance to uh, chat with you and get to share your inspiring story, man. So thanks for coming on and sharing all of it because it's super, super empowering stuff. Thank you so much for having me. And I, I can't wait for our run with Dr. Tyler. Well, that's going down a hundred percent, man, a hundred percent. So as we say at the end of every episode, keep lacing them up, my friends, keep getting out the door and always remember to stay in the fight. Wow. That was so much fun for me. I have wanted to have a first time marathoner on the show for some time. And I just think there was some real significance there. Grace's first marathon, my 60th in the New York City 50th. It was no coincidence that we met in the finish line that day. I believe it was meant to be. Um, what a fun conversation. Um, it just keep coming back to gratitude. I could feel it in her voice, how much appreciation she has for the love of her family, her parents, her sisters, and all of the key mentors that have shaped our journey along the way. Um, you can really feel that it resonates with her in everything she says and certainly in her actions. And I can see that she's going to be a terrific leader in life. She's going to be a great physician hope, and a surgeon one day, um, no doubt about that. And I know I'll have another person on my short list I could call if I have any orthopedic issues. And uh, that was a fun connection with Dr. Wakenda Tyler, finding out she had scrubbed into a surgery there with a former, uh, former podcast episode guest who's one of my favorites. Um, so anyway, what a fun conversation. 
It made me feel so good to see a 24-year-old person who has it together and is so grounded and so humble with everything she's accomplished to this point and is absolutely a grinder. We all know how much I love the grind. So to meet someone at that age that has that passion and grind and is embracing it every day um, with humility, it was, was really inspiring to me. So I hope you all feel the same way about this episode. I hope you all give Grace a follow and just uh, get behind what she's up to and what she's doing. And uh, it's just been an exciting couple of weeks being out on the road at some of these races, London, Boston, New York, and then the JFK 50, meeting so many people who are actually listening to the show, who are excited about some of the podcast swag, some hats and some shirts and some hoodies, and uh, we're able to get some things from me that I handed out to guests and uh, some people that I've seen along the journey. And also, the store opened up as well. So what a wonderful uh, couple of weeks it's been for me. And this episode was just wonderful. So I thank uh, Grace so much for sharing her awesome journey. And I can't wait to continue following along. So as we say at the every end of every episode, my friends, keep lacing them up, keep getting out the door, and always remember to stay in the fight. And please keep those positive reviews coming, my friends, because it's really helping us grow and get more new listeners onto our platform. God bless you all. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Keep training strong. Peace out, my friends. <laughs>